What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends, and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Andy Parzo. Morning, Andy. How are you, man? I'm good, thanks, Yas. How are you? Very well, thank you. Andy, just some really brief insight around who you are, what you do, just so we can get the heart of the conversation. So my role at the moment in football is with AFC Wimbledon with the first team. I'm the set-piece coach, which is a position that I've held since February 2021. Um, so just done just over a year and a half in the, in the position. Um, before that, I started like a, a number of coaches were doing grassroots Sunday league um, to sort of work my way through from foundation phase to under-18s, um, got into the academy game uh, with Brentford, then at Watford, then joined Wimbledon. And then during my time at Wimbledon, um, got moved up to the first team to, to take on the role I currently got. Amazing, amazing. And obviously through that experience, you've obviously gone on to get your A-license once you've had a range of different experiences right across the phases. So talk, talk to us a little about that, some of the biggest learnings that you've had during that phase. And then we'll talk more about your role shortly. Sure. Um, I mean, I think one of the key things to, to sort of keep in mind is that the learnings never stops. It's like, obviously it's still ongoing now. Um, but all the way through at different clubs where I've been, I've experienced different environments, different cultures, um, different styles of, of, of working through coaches, um, different types of players that we've been, been working with or trying to develop. Um, so it's been nonstop. And I think probably the biggest learning experience I found is there isn't a right way. Um, you do the best that you possibly can in the job you, that, that you're doing at, the, at that moment. And, um, and you, you get the best possible results out of it that you can do. But um, in terms of key learning experiences, I think, I mean, different things at different points in the journey, without a doubt. I think one of the key ones early on, and it will, it will sound ridiculously obvious, but trying to relate everything that you're coaching to what the what the eventual goal is, so what the game looks like, or um, so that's obviously working with kids, trying to trying to relate everything they're doing. This is when you might use this in a game, but then with the, even with the first team, like it, it transfers right through to, to to working with senior players as well explaining why you're doing what you're doing for me has been one of the most important things that I've learned throughout my journey, just because it increases the buy-in. They, the players can see the rationale behind it because what players, parents, supporters, everything, like all the various stakeholders don't see 
of the hours you spend at your notepad at home, scribbling down your plans, alternative plans, contingencies, all the different X's and O's, every other bit that you need to try and think of. They don't see the process that goes in, they just see the output. Whereas if you can provide a little bit of the rationale behind the process or behind what the output should look like, I just find you get a quicker and more, um, I guess more effective buy-in from, 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 I'm not just gonna say players here, but people. Um, I think that's probably been one of the key things is, is providing that why, that rationale. Yeah, and I think there's two really great points that you've mentioned there. And obviously it's, it's the first piece is around making, the, making it game related, mm -hmm. but more specifically age specific. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of coaches, especially in my journey, and I'm, you know, you've talked talked about it there, where we're so focused on right, what is it going to look like at the end? Uh, you know, in other words, can we make it look like the Premier League? And really, it's not mm -hmm. going to look like that because if they are under nines, they're playing under nine football. If they are under fifteens, yeah. they're playing under fifteen football. So it's really important to kind of remember that. And you know, one of the key messages that I kind of really share with coaches around that is, don't worry too much about what the game looks like in terms of modern trends the future trends and whatnot but actually one thing that stayed consistent from the from beginning of the game till now is the principles so if we're supporting yeah. the players and developing a good understanding of the principles then i think we're, 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 going to, we're going to be on the right track regardless but another really important piece that you talked about there was getting the buy-in from the players and yeah. i totally agree with you i think you know i, I know myself as an individual like you know if, if you want me to do something for you tell me why yeah i want to examine right is, is what you're telling me worth doing yeah i'm the same yeah and secondly beyond that is the way that you're asking me to do it the best way to do it mm -hmm. um so i think that that piece is really important i think oft, often goes overlooked in terms of just how important that is so maybe just share some experiences around that in terms of some of the ways in which you would do that because typically it's just a lot of coaches are just going on a mindset of well i'm telling you to do this i'm going to tell you why but i'm not really going to explain how if that makes sense I think I'll, I'll give I'll give two two examples. One from sort of um, from from working with youth players, and one from working with senior players. So I'll start with the with, with the youth players, and I think this becomes easier now in the more um, I guess digital age that we live in, where there's more um, accessible media and more accessible communication. So I think working with youth players, and when I did this in the, the academy I was working with um, at Wimbledon, where ahead of a session and this might be a couple of days in advance it might be on the day i would send so we had that we had a, a whatsapp group among the players and staff for our age group and i was sending clips of things we were going to be working on later on but those clips would be of senior players doing this but i i would always make sure it's not you're not just looking at de bruyne you're not just looking at messi i'd make sure because working with with wimbledon at the time we were preparing for league, for league one football so I mean, Kevin De Bruyne doesn't play in League One. You, you have different types of players with different characteristics. So I would show top-level players doing it, but also players relative to the, to the level we're trying to get to. Obviously, we want players to get beyond that, but that's where we are at the moment. Um, so they can see what it is, whatever it might be. I mean, it could be anything. It could be it could be regains in the final third, whatever. Um, I would send clips of that in, but I'd also send clips of when players don't do it. So essentially, let's, again, let's say regains in the final third, when the opposition can break that, whether it's a press or a counter press, and then the players can see, okay, I can see why you do it, but I can also now see what happens if you don't do it, so what the consequence is, that then gives the why. So then later on, when I go and coach it in the training session, I'll say to the players, do you remember that clip of De Bruyne? Do you remember that clip of, I don't know, the Oxford United midfielder that I showed earlier? This is the situation where that might be relevant, and obviously it can't be an exact replication because that, doesn't exist in football things happen over and over again but never exactly the same but in that scenario this is what happened let's see if you don't do this now what the impact is on the team okay now we're going to do it and you'll and this is you, you can see the reason why so I guess it's sort of it's backing everything up so you're sort of you're, you're preempting things you're, you're adding additional layers and for years we've talked about and like the FA on course have talked about different types of coaching and coaching off of the grass as well as on the grass I think as much work you can do, I call it in the shadows, so away from the, the, the trainer pitch as you possibly can to facilitate what you're doing on the pitch, the, I guess the more holistic the learning is going to be um, and the more different ways, because obviously players are going to learn in different ways and different styles and that. Um, it just gives an extra layer of, um, of understanding, I think, to the players. The example I give from the first team um, is one, one that happened to me about two weeks into my role as, as set-piece coach at Wimbledon. We were due to play Wigan away. It was our first league game. We played one in the Papa John's. 
Um, it was our first league game. Big relegation scrap at the time, right? We're going to won the league this season. They had a massive investment in the summer, but season before they were right down there with us. And um, I'd noticed from my um, preparation that Wigan took an awful lot of short corners, loads of short corners, um, as in a lot more than they would go directly into the box. So when it came to set-piece training on the Friday before we travelled, I pre prepped a load of short corners against us. And our centre midfielder at the time, Alex Woodyard, um, who's got a bit of a temperament, his head went during training because he was saying it was unrealistic. They wouldn't do this all the time. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. And I was thinking... They, they do. I, I, I don't really know what you want me to say. This is what they do. But because he's only going off what I've told him, similar to what you said earlier, no, tell me or show me why, and then I'll do it. But because he hadn't seen that, so off the back of that, and I said, I said to him, I said, Willie, look, I will show you the clips. No problem. I'll show you the clips and you can see why we're doing. But that's after training, so that's no good. So from that training session, I started doing a set-piece meeting every Friday before training where I would show, this is what the opposition do. This is how we're going to stop it. Right, let's go and do it on the grass. This is what the opposition's weaknesses are defensively. This is how we're going to exploit it. Let's go do it on the grass. So then when I'm asking them to attack, the, attack that post, attack the near post, um, make this certain movement or do this short corner, they've seen why we're going to do it. So they, they buy into it more. But also on a match day, they go up there knowing we've got a plan that's either going to stop your strength or exploit your weakness. Obviously, football's imperfect. so. It doesn't always work, but you go up there with that knowledge. So I think that, yeah, they're, they're sort of my two examples of how those things have come about or how, how that would look. No, definitely. I think I think they're two very good examples, especially the last one, because I think really what it does is it just highlights just how important it is to have that rationale. But more importantly, you know, it's over time providing that rationale and, and by getting their buy-in actually builds a credibility to the point where eventually they might not even need the rationale anymore. Yeah. Trust the word. And this is what's happening. I've done my research. You, you know, we've worked together long enough. You know, you know that, you know, I'm going to come through on it. But yeah. it, I think there's one really important piece that was kind of underlying within that, um, that you mentioned right at the start. And that's actually the way I've interpreted it is, is you need to know the vision of what the topic is. So obviously your interpretation of what it is. So for instance, you, we could all be, as you talk about regains in possession as an example, but what that looks like to you might be very different to what that looks like to me and I think that's really really important for kind of for us to identify what does it look like for us because it's not just as simple as saying we're going to look to regain position in the final third or whatever that might be but actually what does it look like to us because now the message and the interpretation you might have might be very different to what the players have so you know you could be about the player there talk you know about the corner and saying this wouldn't happen but actually that's based on his own perceptions of what he's experienced yeah obviously seen otherwise and even if you hadn't it's still happening somewhere yeah, and I think I think this is what this is one of the keys. As I said, it's it's never going to be an exact replica yeah. of the clip that you show. Now I might show a clip of, of of Man City doing it, and they're playing in in that system. They're playing a four three three, but we play with a three five two. So actually, we're pressing with two, whereas they're pressing with three, or they're pressing with one with two backing up. So the actual picture does not translate to what we're doing. So it's not the picture. It's not the um the tactical side of it necessarily. I'm sure it's the action. It's the action that I'm showing. So a better example, I guess, would be recovery runs because they're things that result in, in goals all the time or lack of recovery runs. They're the sort of things. doesn't matter what system you're playing. doesn't matter what level you're playing. They are extremely important and putting in those layers beforehand and particularly with, I would say, probably youth development level players, youth development phase, where they're obviously going through adolescence. They become a bit more sure of themselves to a certain extent. Um and there might be an air of, I don't need to worry about running back there because I'm just going to win you the game going forward. So if you then show a top player making that 45, 50-yard recovery, I remember the one that Rooney did a few years ago for a, whoever it was in America. <laughs> yeah, um, That sort of thing. When, when the clips show a player of unbelievable ability doing what I guess you would call the dirty work, but really it shouldn't be called the dirty work because it's like, it's fundamental. It's yeah. basically, basically it's, that again, it's just, well, if he's going to do it, if, um, if Cristiano Ronaldo is going to make a 45 yard recovery, but I reckon you can as well uh, uh, under 14 level, I think you could probably do it too. Yeah. Um, so again, it just, it just pause you for a second though. More importantly, it's not, I reckon you can, but I reckon the least you could do is try. Yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, because it, it's not even recovery to to regain the ball. That's If you do that, that's brilliant. That's the best we can do. But your recovery might force him to make a quick and uh, 
some unforced poor, error. Poor judgment action. Like what? It, it's sometimes it's the, the intent that kills. So actually regain it knife, but put the effort in. But even with with that as well, like I think when you're doing particularly well against him, this isn't necessarily for 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 younger players, but certainly probably 15, 16s and above, certainly up to first team. If you're doing well against a team and you're winning 2-0, let's say, if there's five minutes to go and your team is still going hell for leather, sprinting back to recover. I remember that like Leeds United used to be unbelievable for it with Bielsa. Just constant recovery runs all the time or sprinting forward, sprinting back. The team suddenly where you think 2-0 with five minutes to go, how many times have we seen teams actually get back into a game with that? It happens all the time. When your team is still going full intensity, putting all those shifts in there, the other team, they're not getting back in the game. They're, they are they are going to wilt because they're just thinking, this, this team are non-stop. It's just, every time we, we get the ball, they just suffocate us. So again, it's the intent that sometimes kills. But, I mean, we're going off on a little bit of a tangent here now, but it, it's it's those little things where, like, you talk about putting on, say, an academy session, it's playing out from the back, playing through the thirds. Uh, it, it's the high-pressing, it's, it's, the, it's the sexiest stuff, really. It's the stuff that we all want to coach and players want to do. And, like, when you watch your footage back after a, a game on a Sunday, you think you're like, they're the clips you sort of put together and say, lads, look at this. How good was this when we, we popped it through? You're like 15 passes and a goal. But it's these extra bits. No, I can't say extra bits. These fundamental bits we have to have in place and we have to make sure we celebrate. I, I, I totally agree. And I think there's two, there's two parts that kind of comes back to that we mentioned already. And that's, yeah. You obviously showed that, you know, you, you've got your Kevin De Bruyne example, but you've also got the example of someone in a League One or League Two as an example. And I, and I think that having that, yeah. that relatable you know, outcome in terms of what this could look like at different levels is very important. But more importantly, yeah. back to the top of the conversation, we talked about making it game-related but age-specific. Yeah. So what what would that look like in their game? But also not making it just game-related, age-specific, but actually pathway-specific, if you like. Because if you are in, you know, at AFC Wimbledon or Cap 3 Academy, then you're, you're preparing the players to play at that level, if that makes sense. Yep. So what does it look like at that at stage of the game? So you talk there about, you know, a lot of academies now wanting to do the sexy stuff, but actually when they get to first team, it looks nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that. I think that's where a lot of a lot of academies, in my opinion, could, can sometimes get it wrong is because you're, you're, we just teach, let's, let's be honest, a lot of the academies are pretty much teaching the same thing in terms of how they want to play. There's not enough variety in that. And obviously they don't start getting that variety into maybe 16, 17, 18, where they start going out alone within the PDP and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But up to that point, it's almost foreign to them to play in any other way. Yeah. And it's, it, it, in my opinion, it might sound a bit strong, but I, I think you're doing the players a disservice if you only stick to, to, to that style. Uh, and listen, like, it's not a case of chopping and changing your style week to week or in-game or whatever you might do, but you need to prepare players as best as possible for whatever situation they might get. So that example, so... Um, Let's say, let's say, let's take Tottenham as an example. Play great football at academy level, um, like exciting players. Tottenham send a player on loan to, um, let's say, Gillingham. Gillingham in League One, who fundamentally, or League Two now, fundamentally, every week it's long throws, set pieces, direct balls, second balls, like no hesitation, hook things on. If we haven't prepared players for that, this player that's come through the... Um, System, I said Tom, but let's say any any cat, cat one, cat two, even cat three academy that's only ever done play through the thirds, get on the half turn, play forward, run forward, um, go and press high. They don't know how to sit in a block. So I guarantee when Gillingham play in their relegation scrap game against whoever and they're sitting in a low to mid block, the player that's going to f- fly out of their hole and kill the structure is going to be that player that's never experienced it before. That's what happens. Picking up second balls. It, Say it again, recovery runs. These are the things because we don't coach them well enough. And listen, I, I've been out of the academy system for well, a year and a half now, but I was in it for, for a number of years. We've never coached that side of the game well enough, in my opinion. And it's something, as I said, I think we're doing a disservice because it's the game. It's the game at the top level. So one of the first things Pep Guardiola said when he came to Man City is one thing I didn't realise in English football, how important the second ball is. Now, Man City don't play direct. They might hit longer passes occasionally like it happens but opponents definitely will and if you don't land on the second ball or if you do land on the second ball let's say uh, for example you stop their momentum because no one ever scores a goal directly or it's very rare off of say a goal kick it's what happens after that so it's how you position yourselves around that now we need players to be able to 
anticipate based on trajectory of the ball, based on the, the, the type of contest, aerial contests are going on, where the ball is likely to land, where their opponent is and therefore where to position themselves. This, this is as much a skill as getting on the half turn and playing forward. It's just a different type of skill. But it's so important that we prepare players for whatever level of football they might they might end up at. Um, but to have these fundamental skills because it's only going to benefit them. It's really important that we get that right. I think you're spot on, you know, but let's, 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 let's bring it back to you a little bit now. Obviously, we talked about some of the things that are missing in coaching, but there's now some, a lot of things that are given more attention nowadays. And one of them, obviously, you know, one of the things that we've seen more recently is, is specialist coaches across different, uh, different areas of the game. And yeah. obviously, the, the original specialist coach, if you like, was the goalkeeping coach. Yeah. And things have evolved massively since then. You know, we've got set piece coaches, we've got throwing coaches, we've got, you know, in possession, out of possession, we've got position specific. Um, so there's so many different di- directions that could go in. But obviously, you know, you're right at the top of the conversation, you talk about your current role, set piece coach, AFC Wimbledon first team. Where does that come from? Because there's a lot, of, you know, there's a lot of coaches out there that are thinking about becoming specialists in certain areas. Um, but then it's that age old debate and a conversation I have with a lot of coaches. Are you letting the niche pick you or are you picking the niche? Yeah. I would, I'm going to bring it back to something I said, I think it was in, in, in my first response, is you do the job you're currently in to the best of your ability and you'll get the best possible results. And from those results, opportunities will come. I had never set out on my coaching journey to become a set-piece coach. It never happens. It's an opportunity that came about because of the job I happened to be doing in the role that I was in. So, as I said, I was at, I was at Brentford Academy. Um, I joined Watford Academy and then I joined as Wimbledon Academy and while I was at Wimbledon I developed so I was working with under 13s at the time um that was during the um the year that was um cut short because of Covid so I was taking the under 13s and we just developed a bit of a reputation for for doing well from set pieces just being a little bit different a little bit bright and Again, it's similar to the conversation we've just had around what you work on. So we obviously we had a, a curriculum of work. We looked to play exciting football. We, we called it high-tempo effective football. So sometimes that would look like playing out from the back, playing through the thirds. Sometimes it would look like get the ball in behind as quickly as possible. It, it varied based on the situation. Um, but something that I, I remember thinking, I started thinking this when I was at Watford and was able to, I guess, bring it through more when I, when I joined Wimbledon, was you get, I don't know, eight, nine corners in a game in, in academy football. These are free crosses into the box where you are under no pressure because no one can press the ball. So the nearest they can be is 10 yards away. And you can manipulate how many people you have in the box, how many people you have around the box, who runs where, and you can almost dictate what the opposition do based on what you do. Why don't we practice this? Or what, as in, as in why don't we practice this at all? Like, so we would do, we would train three times a week and the last 15 minutes on my Friday evening session would be, um, would be set pieces. And it was actually only attacking ones. I didn't really look at defensive ones then, um, but it was only the attacking ones. And I just noticed just from that work that we put in, we scored for fun. We, I think we had three routines. Like it wasn't this huge playbook of, of different ideas. I think we had three routines that we did. We scored every week. And I remember one game, I think we missed four chances off of the same routine and the opposition never did anything about it. And then on the fifth one, we scored. And listen, it's not, a, it's not about the outcome of the game as such, but these were still methods to try and achieve an objective. And this was just one way in which we tried to achieve an objective in which we tried to educate players to, to look at these areas. Through that, my name at the club, I guess, became a little bit more well-known um, for, the, for this sort of idea. Um, and then, so, so Mark Robinson, who was basically overseeing the academy, um, was promoted to first team coach. And because he he basically he started the academy and had seen it through to, to what it is today, he wanted to keep a hand in it, keep an eye on it, and basically just make sure it's still in, in good hands. So he wanted match reports sent through to our staff WhatsApp group every week. So you send it through and you talk about like, which players did well, which players struggled, um, how the team performed. Um, and how the goals came about. And quite often there would just be a trend, set pieces, set pieces, other goals as well, obviously, but each week there would be something in there. It was actually his idea that he texted me just randomly one day saying, um, do you fancy coming to, to, to David Lloyd for, for a chat um, about set piece? So that, okay, I didn't know what it was going to be. And he said, um, do you want to be set piece coach for the first team? Now, obviously I've, as most coaches going into the game, going into to, to coaching, you do it, you work in youth football, 
but your dream really is to, to go and work for, 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 for senior football. Not everyone, but it was for me. So that opportunity comes about. I thought, I'm not a set-piece coach. I've never been a set-piece coach. But yeah, let's do it. He wasn't the manager, so he couldn't make that decision. But he said, OK, put a few things together, present it to us, and I'll speak to the manager. So I did that. Anyway, COVID hit, lockdown. Um, I suddenly had a significant amount of time on my hands, as everyone else did. I thought, right, let's just analyse the depth set-pieces. Um, so I looked at it again just from an attacking perspective and went through every corner, every free kick, every team had had in, in League One because, again, I wanted to make it relative to what we were doing and came up with this presentation, presented it to the manager. It all went well, was very interested. Um, Wimbledon at the time were, were 23rd out of 23, and I say 23 in the league because Berry had just been expelled. 23rd out of 23 for attacking set pieces, the worst, worst in the league. And I think we're 22nd out of 23 for defensive set pieces. So, again, going back to what I said earlier, I started with the reason. I started with, this is why you need this. Um, and then I would add to it, this is how I believe I can help. All went well, but given that we just come out of a global pandemic and football had no fans for the last year, the club weren't looking to bring in staff, they were looking to get rid of staff. So it was great, not now, or would you like to do it for free? No, can't do it for free, got a mortgage to pay, um, got a wedding to pay for all that, so no, can't do that. Um, but cool, fine. So Robbo was still very interested. Um, the manager at the time, Glenn Hodges, then lost his job about six months later and Robbo was given the first team role. I think one of the first phone calls he made was to me saying, like, let's go. Um, it was only on an interim basis, so we didn't know if we had one game, two games, three games or whatever. Um, so, yeah, let's just let's go into it. So that's basically how it came about. Robbo then got the job on a permanent basis um, about probably about two weeks after. I think we'd had three or four games by that point. Um, and then, yeah, took it on to, to, to join permanently. And then start of the season we just finished, Robert was in charge. Unfortunately, he then lost his job in, what was it, maybe March time. New manager came in, stayed on to the end of the season. And, uh, and here we are now. I think it's quite interesting because obviously, like, like you said, you know, and I totally agree with you. It's, it's like, I think it was Richard Branson that once said, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, take the job and then, work it out once you get there yeah um you know don't, don't don't try and prepare yourself too much for it because it might never come but if you if you get the opportunity jump in and just 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 be head head in uh, deep dive into it so i think that's something that you definitely did there um but also if i come back to the top where i asked the question and this is a conversation i have with a lot of coaches you never considered yourself a set piece coach you never probably you probably even never considered that being a thing for you let alone um for anyone that you know. So I guess it's quite interesting because a lot of coaches are out there looking for that niche area, looking for that specialist area. But I think where they're making big mistakes is actually going off a particular niche. Yeah. Obviously, your curiosity around that area was already sparked working with the under-13s. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't so much that you set yourself out that you're going to become the set-piece coach, but you, you, you were curious about a particular area of the game and you said, right, I'm going to delve deeper into that. There's something there that we can kind of you know, maybe capitalise on and make a marginal gain, if you like. Yeah. And then that obviously then created opportunities for you. So just just talk about that, because obviously it's not a role that you see in, in a lot of clubs. Yeah. It's, it's not it's not a completely new role, but there is there is people that have done it, that have done similar things before. Well, how well was that received by the players to, to know that there's someone dedicated to that? And your role in particular, was it more focus on what you mentioned previously where it was, was just working on in possession or whether it was a blend of in possession and out of possession elements to it so it says how it was received so we were in a um a fortunate position at Wimbledon that Robbo was the manager and the squad had a fair proportion of players that had come through the academy under him so getting buy-in from them was never going to be a problem because they like he's basically been a father figure to them all the way through it was going to be more the senior players that have come in from other clubs that have been around the block several times, particularly in League One. They've got this. So I'm, oh, I'm 31 now, but I was 30 at the time when I got the job. Um, never played professionally. So there's this player who's of a similar age to, to the senior players, but has never played in, in, in a senior game in his life. That's now going to tell them what to do in these situations. So I would, the way I, I tend to describe it, there was a, probably an equal balance of cautious optimism and cautious scepticism where it was, we'll give this a go, but not sure at the moment. So essentially, you can have to prove yourself. Um, as with pretty much everything in football, the only way to prove yourself is results. And we didn't score a corner probably for the first 12, 13 games. 
So I'm then getting a little bit tetchy, a little bit worried, thinking that maybe that obviously something that works at youth level, there's absolutely no guarantee that's going to work at senior level. Um, you need to do better, basically. You need to do, you, when it's not going exactly right, it's natural, it's normal, particularly in football, to blame the players, blame this, blame that. Always have to look at yourself. So I'm looking at myself thinking, I've got to do this better, I've got to do that better. I've got to study much harder, but I've got to analyse so much more deeply. I've got to think about how I'm putting this across to the players. So like when the set-piece meeting came about, for example, I've got to think about how it looks in training. I've got to think about how I'm managing the opposition when they're playing against us, so all these things. So I'm taking complete sort of ownership and responsibility for why it's not working and I'm going to make it work. Eventually, we got the first goal, I think, in the next game. And then they, they started to fly in after that. And it, it was sort of once we'd managed to realise, like, finally it hit the back of the net. OK, now we can relax a little bit and not relax in terms of the work, but relax as in, like, pressure's off now a little bit. Let's keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, so, yeah, we're, 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 as with everything, it's results that essentially got the um, got the buy-in. And then, like you said earlier, it then gets, sort of gets to the point where you don't necessarily have to provide the rationale. So you can just say, look, this is what I want you to do. And say, yep, yeah, OK, no problem. I still personally like to provide that just as probably my own sort of um, for my own security, but actually for the players now, they don't need it. They, they, they trust in what you're saying. Maybe like, for example, a lot of the players in league one senior players have been around the block plenty of times. They've played against the same players, same teams over and over again. If you say, I want you to mark this player in a certain way, they say, yeah, got it. Cause they've done it a million times before. Um, try and bring that back around to the question now. Just, 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 just on that then, you know, you talked there about, They've been around the block. They've had loads of different experiences, but just I think it's really important to also, you know, I think you make a great point about taking ownership when things aren't quite working out, but also paying attention to the finer details in that. Sometimes as coaches, we can support our players. Sometimes players can take certain actions, which puts them in a position where they've actually done everything they possibly could. Mm -hmm. Still won't get necessarily the result they're wanting. Yeah. There's obviously going to be elements of every aspect that's out of their control. Yeah. So for instance, you know, you could you could be coaching a, a striker to you know finish in the top corner as an example. If he puts it right where he needs to put it, but the goalkeeper pulls off a magnificent save, it is what it is. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's really important just yeah. to kind of keep that in the back of your minds as well. I think foot, football's imperfect because it's played by humans. And I think this is certainly lost a lot. Like I'm not on social media over the LinkedIn, but I used to be. I used to be on, on Twitter and that. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I remember seeing like the way people speak about players. It's it's as if like they they have to be these perfect people all the time on the pitch and off the pitch. By the way, so can't miss plays a pass. So what one that always sticks out in my mind and it always always makes me laugh is why can't insert player's name beat the first man from a corner? It happens at every level. You want a guarantee Champions League final. Someone will miss the first. Sorry, someone will hit the first man at a corner. It will happen. And what I think people fail to understand is that what they're trying to do has such a small margin for error that like the area they're trying to hit, if they get it right, they'll score. But if they get it slightly wrong this way, slightly wrong that way, it will be defended. Because that, believe it or not, 
when you're trying to do something, there's always another team that are trying to stop you. And that happens because it's, it's, it's football and it's human. And I think we as coaches always have to recognise that, that sometimes they do everything they possibly can and you just come up short. We have, we have it sometimes, and there's no pun intended, we've come up short, but sometimes from set pieces, we're smaller than the other team. Like in Particularly in League One, you get some teams that build their squad for set pieces. So every player is above six foot one, six foot two. And other teams just don't have that. So when it comes to a corner, you do the best you possibly can. And sometimes you have to really rely on your goalkeeper because even if you, your opponent's six foot two, your keeper should be around that sort of height, but can also use his arms to, to get up higher. You might rely on him to come and claim as much as he possibly can and, and, and take the pressure off. But sometimes you just have mismatches and it happens. I don't know any team that's gone a whole season without conceding from a, from a set piece or, or a corner. It does happen and... Like I said, you prepare as much as you possibly can, but things happen in football. Football happens. Um, there's another phrase for that, but football happens. It, um, it, you do everything you possibly can. And I think if you leave no stern unturned and you make sure you prepared as best as you possibly can, then that's all you can do. You still have to look back and reflect and think, could I have prepared differently? Not better, not worse. Could I have prepared differently? That might yield a different outcome. But things happen in football we learn, all the, the best learning I've done in my role as set piece coach has been through goals that we've conceded from set pieces and we don't concede similar goals as a result it's really important that each time this happens and by the way I should um, go back on that not necessarily just goals that we've conceded but chances we've conceded because technically if my opponent gets above me at the far post gets a clear header but it goes over the bar technically we've defended the set piece but in reality, we haven't. We've got away with the set piece. So it's looking at not just what was the outcome, but how did we get to the outcome and what do we need to do better in that as well? So it's, it's always analysing everything. Um, but to, to bring it back, yeah, sometimes football happens and, and, and you have to hold your hands up. Yeah, definitely. I think one, one word that really just jumps out to me in that, in those last, that last little um, piece you mentioned there was it's just standards. Yeah. Standards. Don't allow, don't, don't allow yourself to get away with anything. Mm -hmm. and control as much as you can and make sure that if something does happen it's because it was because of you mm -hmm. and circumstance if that makes sense so I think that, that that's a really key piece so I guess you know another key word that you did use in there is always talking about pre preparation and planning yeah but also reflection so I guess what you know in your experiences now what would you say are some of the key trends and key things that people maybe should be looking out for maybe considering when they're now thinking about planning set pieces whether that be in possession, out of possession, and bringing that to their programs. Obviously, you're talking about working at a senior level. But obviously, you've, you've you've delved into a little bit of that at youth level as well. So there's mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the coaches that are probably listening to this are probably going to be wide ranging in terms of youth. You know, whether that be youth development phase, whether PDP or even senior level as well, or in different environments. What would be some of the key considerations you'd ask them to kind of think about? Yeah, I'll try. I'll try. I'll try and link a couple of points to different sort of stages. Um, I think the overriding principle that goes across the board, regardless of your level, is simplicity. So when I first came in with the first team, I had these perfect routines designed that if everything goes right, there's just no way it doesn't end up in the back of the net. Problem is there were too many pieces to the puzzle and it was too complicated. And you have to bear in mind that players at, at first team level have to take in information about their in-possession role, their out-of-possession role, what they're going to do in transition, what they're going to do at set pieces, their own individual prep, anything else that's going on in like their life outside of football, all these things are going on in their head. If you're then overcomplicating things, it's too much. And I guarantee the, like the best laid plans in the world, they will fall short because it's too much. So keeping things simple, whether you're working with under nines or working with first team players, it's exactly the same. Make it as simple as you possibly can. It can still have complexity applied to it, but you're, you're explaining it or putting it across in as simplistic a manner as possible. So again, this comes back to what I said earlier about People don't see all the hours at the notepad. Spend all the hours at the notepad getting it right, but spend those hours getting the detail and simplifying it as much as possible to put across as little as you can to get maximum output. That, that, that's the most important thing across the board. I think in academy football, um, again, simplicity is really important. The, the difference with academy and, and first team is the um, level of opposition analysis that you're going to provide. Let's be honest, at foundation phase, youth development phase, you're not going to be studying opposition to look at what they do. Maybe when you get to floodlit cup and that sort of thing, possibly, but certainly foundation phase, you're not going to be reviewing footage of the opposition. So you can't plan to exploit an opponent's weakness. You can just plan ideas or principles um, that I guess try and exacerbate your strengths a little bit. So the good thing with the corner 
is in the history of football, as far as I'm aware, the corner flag has never moved and the goal has never moved. So ultimately, a direct corner is a ball into the box you're going to try and direct into the goal. So get people across the near, get people across the middle, get people across the far. Where you can then be creative in things and trends you might then um, try and look at are not just where the players end up, but where do they start? How do they get from A to B? And what seems to be effective? So Van Dijk, for example, at Liverpool, a lot of his runs start on the edge of the 18. There'll be other, other teams that Arsenal look to get players a lot out across the front. Um, so every goal Arsenal scored from a, set piece, from a corner sorry, in the Premier League this season has been flicked on at the near post, whether it's gone directly in or then tapped in at the far post. Everyone, other than there have been second phase ones as well, but directly it's been those. So there'll be trends in each one, different types of movement. So you might just say to your player, I want you to get across the near post. That's going too simple for some level. For, for foundation phase, that's fine, not a problem. But when you start to get a little bit older, say, right, I want to start probably in line with the um, corner of the 60-yard box far side. I want you to loop your run around towards the near post because what's going to happen is your man is either going to follow you and that's a long way for him to go or he's going to try and take the shortcut and run across. But by the way, we've got runners going to the back post and that creates traffic. He now can't keep up with you. He can't get momentum in his run. So you're going to get maybe not free contact, but you're going to get better quality contact. So that's an opportunity to go and get across the near. So I'd look at trends of how people are trying to get from A to B. If you're in a position where you can look at opposition, I think you made a great point there, and it's looking at those trends. But I think there's something within that as well that's worth highlighting. Um, as part, I don't know whether it's a consideration you actually make or not. You talk there about Van Dijk starting in the edge of the 18 yard box. Mm -hmm. How much consideration goes into the individual in question, and maybe their characteristics? So, from a perspective of, let's just say, we know. Andy can get his best leap when he takes a five-yard five yard run up to it. Yep. As opposed to, you know, two or three yards, if that makes sense. Yep. How much, how much consideration goes into that sort of stuff? It's, it's one of the most important factors, the in, individual characteristics, because you've got to... Um, uh, there's the... Um, I'm not sure what it's described, but, you know, the thing is, it's done around loads of times where it says um, it's like five animals in a row, and it said, right, we're going to test you all for your... Um, ability to climb a tree and it's like a monkey it's an elephant and it's a fish so you, it's it's getting people to do or to try and execute the actions that best suit their characteristics yeah. so some some players just so Vidic was a brilliant example when the ball came into the box Vidic saw nothing else in the world other than the ball so it doesn't matter who's coming into his right who he's just going at the ball and that, I mean, this is where accidents happen, where injuries happen and stuff, because they, they just go, 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 go for it. Some players just have that. They have that bravery. They have that instinct. Very, very difficult to train that mentality. Um, if it is a mentality, maybe it's a trait. I, I don't know. But if you've got a player like that, get him attacking the ball as much as you possibly can. You'll get some that are brilliant, like they might be the tallest player in the team, but they've just got no power in their neck. So they might not be the one you're getting to sprint in and smash the ball towards goal. They might be the one that you get around the back post because when the ball's looped up in the air, it's got to land on the highest point first. That's probably his head. And he can just hit it back across goal. And then you've got people going to attack the second contact. So it's using players to their characteristics as best as you possibly can. It's so important, like, in terms of trying to design the, the, the attacking set piece because it, it's, it, it's the same as it would be in, in planning anything in open play. Like, if you're planning pressing... And you want to press high and aggressively, but your, your front three can't move. You're going to be ineffective, so you wouldn't do it, or you get a different front, three, what, what, whatever. You have to try and suit things as much as you possibly can to the the, the the players and the characteristics those players have, without a doubt. No, I think it's, it's definitely a great point. I think just I think it's worth highlighting because there'll be a lot of coaches thinking, right? Okay, I want to start maybe exploring this set piece thing. How do I, you know, what are some of the key things I can start looking at? So you might have, like you said, typically. They say, well, you're going to send your tall players. And yeah, but you're right, you're right. The tall players aren't always the best ones at attacking the ball. Sometimes they're not even great at attacking the ball at all. Yeah. Some of them are even scared of the ball. The good thing about that, yes, as well, the opposition don't know that. Yeah. So something that I've, I've, I've done in the past, I did this last season against Oxford um, in the league. And this wasn't that my, my forwards um, weren't good at attacking the ball, but we, basically we had, we had four attacking runners in the box. Mm. The opposition had two monstrous centre-backs and then two slightly smaller fullbacks, um, and they were the, they were picking up our four players. The two monstrous centre backs picked up our two forwards, and the two smaller fullbacks picked up our centre backs, yeah. which is different to, to say the least to begin with. But we realised at half time that 
our centre forwards, when it comes to a corner, you're not in the game. You're irrelevant now because they're going to win. They're going to win the battle against you. So our centre backs, this is where we're going to get an opportunity. So what I asked my two centre forwards to do was to run outside of the near post. We were going to attack the far post, but I wanted to run outside the near post before the ball's even been kicked because the opponents don't know what we're doing. As far as they're concerned, they've got a job to do. They're going to stop their man and they're going to go with him wherever he goes. So before the ball's even been kicked, our two centre-forwards have sprinted outside the near post and the centre-backs have gone with them. We've now got a 2v2 in the penalty area where we've got our two big centre-backs against their two smaller full-backs. Ball comes in, we get first contact, it's stopped by the player on the line, we get second contact from the same centre-back and the player on the line actually dives across, makes a great save and palms it around the post. He gets a red card, we get a penalty, we score from the penalty. But without taking those two centre-backs for them out of the equation, so using basically... Two of our players um, as a distraction, really, um, sort of like as pawns in a game of chess. We're moving them to one side so we can get our queen and our bishop into the right area to go and then attack the ball. It's it's an area you have to look at. And again, in academy football, this is a lot harder. It's something you have to see in the game, see who's picking up who. And there are other things, obviously, you have to look at, and not just set piece in the game, but just looking at where you see those mismatches and think, right, today... That's the battle. So we might have a brilliant attack with the ball, but he's being marked by someone equally as good, right? That's fair game. Take him away and we'll use someone else. We'll use a different mismatch to go and attack. So seeing those things in game and, and recognising that whatever your script was pre-game, it's not going to play out exactly like that in the game. It's very unlikely. So being able to adapt. Yeah, and no, I think you make a great point then. I think it's also understanding that actually everyone does have a role to play and it's not always a star role. Sometimes it is a supporting act and I think that's fine as long as the players understand what their role is. And I think with the success that comes from that, they'll obviously buy into that a little bit more. It leads, with, leads us back full circle in terms of the idea of credibility and just trusting the information that's been given. Yeah. So, you know, look, there's, there's, there's a lot of, a lot, a lot of things there to consider, you know, but let's, let's, let's talk about your role. You know, do you, do you see that becoming a long-term thing or do you, do you see that evolving into something different? And do you think there's going to be, you know, a, a, a surge of more, set piece coaches I think in terms of in terms of myself I bring it back to to what I've said twice now I'm going to do the best I possibly can in the role I'm currently in and we'll see what opportunities come about as I said I never set out to become a set piece coach but I've become a set piece coach and I'll be the best I possibly can in that role um, I'm 31 I've got a hopefully long career ahead of me um, whether that's another 50 years as a set piece coach I don't know if it moves on to first team coach assistant manager manager cool I don't, I don't know what will happen with that in terms of the growth of it in the game, yeah, I think it will become a lot more prevalent. So in the Premier League, you've got Brentford have got one, Arsenal got one, Man City have got one, uh, although he's just gone. Uh, he's actually just got a head coach role somewhere else. Um, and Man United, I don't have I mentioned Man United, Man United got one. Uh, Brentford, obviously. It's becoming more, um, more prominent in the game. The key, and I mentioned this earlier, the key is what the results are going to look like. Mm. So if the teams with the best sort of efficiency at set pieces in, in each league tend to be ones with set piece coaches, it will grow without a shadow of that. And I think that will happen. So Brentford's efficiency in the Premier League is very good. Mm. It's difficult to use goals scored, goals conceded as a measure because City and Liverpool get a lot more set pieces and have a lot more set, a lot fewer set pieces against than every other team in the league because they have the ball more. So they because they, they spend more time in the opposition half near, near the opposition goal, City have Grealish, they have Sterling, they're going to get fouled. Foden's going to get fouled. Um, they attack down the wings, like trying to put cross in, they get deflected behind, they're going to get corners. Through sheer frequency of set pieces, they should score more. That's just that's just probability. Whereas a um, a Burnley or a Norwich or a Watford or someone like that, they're going to get a lot fewer set pieces. No, I'll use Brentford as an example. They're going to get a lot fewer set pieces because they just don't attack as much because they're not at the same level. So it's how many goals are scored relative to the amount of set pieces um, created or provided, that's a much better measure. Same with conceded. Um, I wish I could now back that up with these are what those stats are. I don't have that. Um, but that's something, that's what people should be looking at, not just goals conceded or, or, or goals scored. Um, but you can you can, you can can start to see it. Listen, if you have a team like Brentford who are also right up there for goals scored, just total goals scored, you know that they must be doing something right because that's not a team you'd, you'd expect to see up there. Uh, for example, my team from this season, uh, Wimbledon, finished in the relegation zone, but we finished first in the country for goals from attacking wide free kicks. So that must mean we're doing something right because we can't have spent as much time 
getting those attacking wide free kicks as Wigan, who won the league, for example. They must have had a lot more, but we scored, I think we scored five more goals from wide free kicks than they did. So there must be something there that we've been doing right that suggests that maybe having a set-piece coach has provided a difference. I can't say made the difference because ultimately we got relegated, but potentially without the goals we scored from set-pieces, it would have happened a lot earlier. And without the, uh, if we conceded more from set-pieces, it would have happened a lot earlier. So I think when it becomes more mainstream in terms of people seeing the impact that set-piece coaches are having, are having, I think it's going to grow a lot more. I think a lot more fans are calling out for set-piece coaches to come to their clubs. Again, I don't think they, they, they fully get it, what the, what the role is. So I see set-piece coaches, again, going back to corners not beating the first man, I see set-piece coaches getting blamed for that. Whereas actually, as I mentioned earlier, it happens. It's technical execution. It does happen. Um, I do think, I, I think we're going to see it more and more Certainly to begin with in the Premier League, possibly the Championship, it might drip further down to, to, to the um, League One, League Two. I think I'm the only one in League One and League Two at the moment um, that has the position. Um, but I think when, when the impact becomes more, more well-known, I think, I think we'll see it grow a lot more, yeah. No, definitely. I totally agree with you. Well, that, then, obviously, you know, we, we talked right at the top of the conversation, mentioned that you're obviously an A-Lasters coach, advanced youth board coach. The FA have recently come out with, um, well, not recently, they've, in the past, they've had position-specific courses. Do you think that maybe there's a scope for courses or dedicated workshops around this sort of stuff as well, coaches to kind of maybe upskill themselves around? I think there should be. When I, when I did my licence, we had, um, I think, one 30-minute session on, on set pieces. And it was it was good. It was fine. Um, but without a doubt, we need more. Without a shadow of a doubt. I think um, if you look at throughout history things that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for goals from set pieces. So I'll use, uh, I'll use two examples. 99 Champions League final, Man United, Bayern Munich, two goals from corners. Without that, no title. Um, 2014 Champions League final, round did Atletico, 94th minute, corner, Ramos header. I'll use another example, World Cup semi-final 2010, Spain, Germany, I think it was. Corner, I think it was Puyol got the header. Without these situations those outcomes don't happen. And think about how that can change the course of history. Now, I can never say that one goal in a game creates the outcome of a game. It's impossible because there's however many actions in a game that all contribute. But without that action, you may well, you may well end up seeing a different outcome, as I said, which could, create, could, could change the course of history. So it's important that we do focus attention on these. Now, I don't think we need a, a five-day course on set pieces. But I do think we need more than we currently have. I think there needs to be more um, attention to detail on, on, on different, different things. Um, it's not just launching the ball in the box. It's having a strategy. Defensively, it's having principles. It's having clarity and simplicity, as I said, having a good organisation. Um, and it's similar to, to sort of general play. There's a variety of different styles. So you'll get some teams that will defend wide free kicks with a really high line. You'll get some that will defend with a really deep line. There's no right or wrong answer. So I think the team that defended wide free kicks best in League One play an extremely deep line. That's not for me personally, because for me, the closer you are to the goal, if the opposition get first contact, increases the probability it's going to go in the back of the net. If you keep the line away from your goal, first contact still got a fair distance to go to get to the goal. But statistically, the team that did it best, Burton in our division, defended with a really deep line. Now, there are reasons behind that, the characteristics that they had in the team um, that increase the chances they're going to get first contact. So they're different styles. Same with corners. You'll get some that defend with a two-zonal system, two-man zonal system, front zone, second zone. That's the most common in League One um, and League Two as well. It's more of a hybrid in the Championship and there's only a couple in the Prem that do. You'll get some teams that go three-man zonal, some with four, some with five, some with more than five. And it's important that people understand as many different ideas, principles, systems as possible so they can find what works for them because it's exactly the same in, in football. Like everyone's sort of got their own sort of idea of how they'd like the game to be played whether it's defend deep to counter-attack, whether it's press high, regain high, play, I don't know, through the thirds, whatever. Everyone's got that sort of identity that that's ideally how they see it. You need one for set pieces as well. It's really like it's almost like its own game. So I describe it to um, the manager that I presented to at Wimbledon. It's a game within a game and it's sort of like its own battle separate. It still obviously links in to, to how you're going to play and what you start to play will yield more um, types of set pieces, types of free kicks or corners based on how you play but you can sort of you can create your own philosophy and identity that you become known at for that um so for example a mantra that we use this season at Wimbledon or season just gone 
was to defend set pieces. Their set piece is our threat. So, yeah, we're going to defend it, but we're actually thinking about how we're going to hurt you on the counter. So we scored goals on the counter-attack from set pieces and we defend with everyone back for a corner, for example, like a lot of teams do, because we wanted them to bring as many people forward as possible to make sure they're more vulnerable back towards their own goal. So I'd use my keeper as much as possible to come and claim. Then we knew our edge players, one to the right, one down the middle, one to the left. Keeper doesn't have to think, just throws to one of those three players. We're off on the break. Now they're sprinting back towards their goal and we're looking to go and break. So that principle, that becomes a philosophy, becomes an identity. So teams will know. And obviously opposition starts to get smart to it. So as soon as the opposition to get a corner, their coach isn't talking, shouting instructions about how they're going to attack. They're talking about making sure you affect the goalkeeper, block the keeper if he catches it. So now suddenly their attacking set piece is just a little bit less prepared because they're thinking about the transition after as well. But that comes from the identity. It comes from having that sort of that, that philosophy and that mantra. So I, I think it's really important that through education, coach education or doing your own sort of research and analysis, you sort of work out how you want to go about those sorts of situations and put your own stamp on it and play about with it, have fun with it. I think that's spot on. FA, if you're listening, Andy Parzo is available for pause. <laughs> get him involved. Get him involved. Um, no, I, th- I think you're spot on, though. There's, there's so many aspects to it that um, probably people aren't considering enough. Um, and I think in the way the courses are structured, there's probably not enough exposure, especially on set pieces. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, you talk about doing 30 minutes. I don't even think I had that much on my, on my B licence and A licence together. Yeah. But yeah. it is that attention to detail. And I think more, more, more specifically, not necessarily telling people how to do things, but just giving people different considerations to make. Um, yeah, I think yeah. more than anything. And I, I think it's really interesting that you talk about it being almost a philosophy on its own because it, it is really, isn't it? It's how do you approach that? What does that look like? You know, what are you basing on? Is it directly linked to the way your teams play or is it yeah. more directly specifically linked to the characteristics of the team in that moment, if that makes sense? So I think there's a, there's a few different, you know, considerations to make there, but I think that runs, that's a thread that runs through the game. It's just how often are we thinking about what we're doing? And yeah. As coaches, are we providing enough rationale for the players and even ourselves on why we're doing it in that way? And I think you know, those are probably two of the biggest messages that have really come out for me in this conversation. And I just, you know, if there's anything that coaches should take on board, it is just check and challenge yourself a little bit more. Yeah. And and other people as well. hundred percent. So I mean, you know, one thing I always say to coaches to think about is that. Don't be a YouTube coach. Don't just watch someone's session, grab it, and then try and yeah, replay. Exactly. It's not going to work. Exactly. You need to know the ins and outs of why that session's in place. And sometimes it's good to check and challenge people. I think what, where a lot of people have an issue with it sometimes is they they might not be the senior coaching environment. They might be they might be an assistant. They might be working one of the younger, younger age groups. They may not feel that they've got the capacity to be able to actually challenge things. It's a difficult one. It's um, so my 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 character is is to challenge people. Um, whether it's the first team manager, one of the players, it, it, it doesn't matter. Um, I've been in environments where it's actively encouraged and we'd have, so Brentford, for example, working in the academy there, we'd have full on rows after training sessions, working in the academy, working with, with, with kids. We go in the coach room after, we debrief for about an hour and we just rip each other's sessions apart. And what you go away feeling a little bit down about people like hammering your session but I guarantee you come back to the next session thinking that's not happening again. And you make sure you get everything spot on. Then went to another environment where it was actively discouraged. The issue is because it's part of my character to be like that. I can't, I, I find it very difficult to keep that inside and keep that in a box. So I would challenge people and I challenge people more senior than me, not necessarily never to be difficult, only ever with the objective of getting the best possible outcome. Now I disagree sometimes with people Oh, sorry. No, so I would challenge some people, um, people sometimes, even if I agree with them. But I won't tell them I agree with them. I would. I just want to see the strength of your argument because if you're saying something and I think, yeah, that makes sense, but it doesn't actually hold up to any challenge, it's probably not the best solution. So sometimes, yeah, I'll challenge people just for the hell of challenging people, just to see what what, what they've got about them. But you 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 do it with the full understanding that. You, you might not be welcome there much longer if you do. So what the, the environment where it's actually discouraged, I still did it, still challenged, still challenged, still challenged. They didn't want me anymore because it's not the done thing. I think in this country particularly, we have a real um, hierarchy of authority and you speak when you're spoken to and you don't answer back. And if this person's in that position, no, you just do what you're t- This isn't the best way, in, in my opinion, but it's only my personal opinion. So I would challenge and 
it got to the point where it was, no, you're not working the way we want you to work. Um, you're, you're arguing too much. Um, no, thank you. All right, cool, no problem. Go somewhere else, actively encourage, brilliant. And I guarantee without that mentality and that mindset and that way of, of being, I wouldn't be in the position I am now. I guarantee it. I think you're spot on. I think it's really important that we do stay curious. We do stay inquisitive because it's important for us to know why. And I think yeah. what ends up happening in a lot of environments where people are maybe set in their ways, they maybe haven't reflected on why for a long time. So when they get asked that question, it's almost like, why are you asking me why? Yeah. I'm doing this for a long time. Okay, that's great, but is it still the best way to do it? Yeah, it's not enough. Yeah, I, I think that's really important, especially in terms of building that credibility as if you're talking about coach development or whatever, if I'm meant to be looking at you as a senior member of staff that's meant to be upskilling me, supporting me with my development, yeah. but you can't tell me why you're doing the things that you're doing, what chance have I got? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a way to, there's a way to do it. Like, I'm not, I'm not advocating going out there and just being rude for the sake of being rude, but like, obviously you, you, you do it with respect, but it depends what you want out of it. Like, if you want the best possible solution, the best possible outcome for yourself, for your players, for, for the club, whatever, you can't just accept everything because it's being said. It, it's 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 so subpar. It's scary just to just to nod and, and agree. It doesn't make it doesn't make sense. I think you're spot on, and I'm sure there's loads of different things that you know that you've probably picked up along the way in terms of challenging, maybe not got answers for, but challenging also got answers for, which maybe probably reinforce some of your ideas. That actually provoke yeah. people in different ways as well. And yeah, I hope yeah. this conversation will do that for anyone that's listening to it as well. But And I'm conscious of time as well. I'm just really thinking if there's anyone that wanted to maybe get in touch with you and find a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do, if they could get in touch with you, where they could do that even. Because obviously you mentioned not on social media. I think LinkedIn might be the yeah. best. Yeah. I think LinkedIn is probably... But I was asked this question the other day and I said I wanted people to write to me, write a handwritten letter to me. Um just because it's a little bit more personal, but now LinkedIn is probably the best way. Well, it is the best way because I'm I'm not I don't I don't like social media. Um, I, I used to have it, and it's without doubt it's had some benefits, and it does have some benefits. But I I find that people in general, and this isn't just specific to, to coaching. This is into I got on the tube yesterday, and you look up and down the carriage, actually everyone's just staring at the phone. No one's looking around. No one's thinking for themselves. They're just looking at whatever contents on the phone. It does make it. So I made a conscious decision to come off of all of that. Um, and just focus more on like sort of my own mental development, really, my own, my own thinking and like looking out the window and yeah, all sorts. Of, anyway, it's a long way of saying, yeah, LinkedIn's probably the best way. Um, or, I mean, in terms of finding out about me, just have a look on the internet. There's, there's stuff I've done, your sort of interview and ask about me. Have a look on there if you want to find out. But no, if you want, if you want to chat, LinkedIn, I'm, I'm fairly good at responding. Um, but I'd, I'd say, I don't know, so come with an idea of why you're asking a question. Don't, don't like, what, what I'd say is don't, don't just, um, don't just do it because it's easy. Have a think about what you want to ask and, and, and then come and ask a question. Because um, I just think communication is so easy now on, on the internet. It's almost, you just do it, you fire off sort of 20 messages to different people. This is the exact same question just without thinking, whereas think about what it is that you want to know um, or anything you want to ask and, uh, and come and ask. I think that's a great point to kind of finish up on you know, a really key message that, again, I've shared with lots of coaches I work in the past, is if you're going to go and want to find something out, ask yourself who, who knows about it best. Mm. Ask anyone because of their experience. And it's, especially for, for new coaches coming into the industry, you know, quite often they get misled and mis it's misinterpreted. Go and work with an experienced coach. Go and learn off an experienced coach, but what is it that they're trying to learn? And yeah. is that experienced coach the right person to support them with developing on that aspect of things? So I think we've all got different... Yeah, what are they, what are they experiencing? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think that's it's really, really key. You know, I've been coaching for, what, nearly 12, about 12 years now. A lot of my experiences have come 14s to kind of 21s across different maybe college environments, university environments and things like that. So yeah. I'm probably not the best person to support someone who wants to work with on the nights. Exactly. Um, I'm not saying I can't support them, not saying that there's not messages I can transfer across to them, but I'm, if you come to me at 14, 15, 16, 17 and so on, I'm probably better suited for that support. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really important to kind of identify who you're going to for the support and what you're looking to get from them. So I think that's, it's a great point to kind of finish up on. Um, but Andy, look, thank you again for your time. Really appreciate it. I'm sure there's going to be some some good feedback on this one. Um, really good insights. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and I wish yeah. you all the best as a father now. Uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> um, and have a great day, man.
Cheers, yes. Thank you very much. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.